God, thank you for being a holy God. Thank you that there are none who stand beside you. You stand alone. And thank you, God, even though that you are holy in an unapproachable light, you have made a way for sinners to dwell with you. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to take sin on the cross so that you remain holy, that you remain the just and the justifier. And so God, I ask you today to be honored by this gathering. I ask you, God, that the hearts of your children be strengthened and encouraged, that they know their only hope in life and in death is in you. And I pray for anyone in here whose heart is broken, who's burdened and heavy laden, maybe far from you, separated from you, may you, by the power of your spirit, may you draw them in today, comfort them, give them peace, give them faith, give them repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe seated. So the first thing I wanna say is, it is me, okay? Uh, for, those who, for those of you who know me, I, I look very different with the beard and without one. So it is me, okay? It's not a guest preacher. Uh, my name is Matt Joyner. I'm the pastor of this church. Uh, it's nice to see you all. Uh, and then secondly, uh, I wanted to make an, an announcement myself. So on, I want you to mark your calendars for October 29th, okay? October 29th is the missional partner meeting. Uh, for Redemption City Church and Redeemer Church. So if, if you're new to us, you ought to know that Redemption City Church is a church plant of Redeemer Church. And so for this year, uh, and this year alone, we're going to do our missional partner meeting together. And I want you there. It's very important that you be there. We're going to give you an update, uh, financial business update. We're going to give you the plans for the year. And then also we're going to break off into separate churches to have another Q&A time, but you get, you, I, it's so important that you guys be there. And so uh, this church is speeding towards autonomy, separated from Redeemer, uh, and that will come within the year. But um, for now, it's so vital that churches in this city work together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we hope to display the beauty of what partnership in the gospel could look like in our city. And so I, I really hope that you mark your calendar and make it a priority uh, if you're uh, uh, here to come to Redeemer on October 29th, 5.30 p.m. to 7, okay? And then I want to take a moment and pray for Israel before we start our sermon today. Uh, we've all seeing the atrocities happening uh, in Jerusalem. And, and we need, what do God's people do? When the foundations crumble, God is still on his throne. And so we need to ask him uh, to preserve life, to give peace, to stop evil, to bring justice, to bring righteousness. And I want to encourage you, I'm not gonna make a statement today, but in the email tomorrow, and, and you can go on our website, uh, if you're not on the email, you can go on our website and sign up for that. I encourage you to do that so you stay informed. But I'm going to link, uh, June's going to link on there a panel discussion from Southern Seminary where Dr. Moeller and a couple other uh, colleagues um, 
give a historical, political, and theological perspective of, what, of what's happening in Jerusalem. Uh, there are a variety of theological perspectives given, so I'm not making a statement by watching that video of where we stand or anything, but it's so important for you guys to understand what's going on over there and to pray. And let's do that right now. God, oh merciful and gracious God, we come before you and we ask you, we ask you to preserve life. God, there are you're fully aware of the atrocities. You're the, you're the only one who knows the evil that has happened in Israel. God, the murders and the atrocities that are not even to be spoken from this stage because they're so vile in nature. I, I pray, God, that you protect life. Your image, Lord, is being attacked. Your image is born by every one of your creation, God, and your people, God. I just pray for all of your creation that bears your image, that you protect them. And Lord, I pray for the leaders of Israel to have wisdom to know how to deal with this conflict. We pray for the restraining of evil. We pray that you end this evil. God, we pray that we know the writer of almost half of the New Testament was at one time a terrorist. And so God, we know that you could even turn those who think they're on a mission from you around. May you appear to them. May you bring them to repentance. And God, may, may those who are in Israel who have rejected you as Messiah, may they turn to you in faith now. God, may they turn to the living and true Savior, the Messiah of the Jews. May they not reject you any longer. May you give them faith to turn to you, Jesus Christ. May you have mercy, God. May you have mercy. Protect their women, their children, their men. God, help them. We beg you now, and we know that you are the sovereign ruler of all. So God, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So please turn your Bibles to Habakkuk 2.14. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, there's a great table of contents at the beginning of your Bible that will tell you what page it's on. It's a very short book. It's easy to miss, okay? But, and then also put your thumb in Matthew 28. So Habakkuk 2 and then Matthew 28 we're going to read 16 through 20 in a second. But it has been said, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. It's not so much that we're on mission, it's that God gave the church for the mission that he started. That is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches in the New Testament were about the great commission. Why? Because Jesus came on the mission to seek and save that which was lost. That is the mission. And Jesus will save a people from every corner of this world, every tribe, 
nation, tongue will be represented in heaven in a sea of faces worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. The mission is every tribe, nation, and tongue. That is the mission of Jesus Christ. It will happen. And it does happen little by little every day. The question is, will we play a part in God's mission in the world? That is the question. Will we play a part in God's mission in the world? Listen, Adam, the first man, was created as an image bearer of God. And he was called to subdue, to cultivate this earth, to multiply, to spread image bearers across the world and therefore spreading the glory of his name to every corner of the world. That was the calling. Sin has distorted the image of God. Therefore, people are blinded by the devil to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, says 2 Corinthians 4.4. Furthermore, and it says in Romans 1.18 that People with a clear understanding of God have, as seen in creation, by their own unrighteousness, suppress the truth. That's the condition of humanity. All people are still image bearers, but they are the walking dead of image bearers. Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible tells us. But... Jesus came to save in his redemption. His people are being transformed into his image more and more clearly. Therefore, the plan to spread his glory across this earth has not wavered. That is the mission. Look at Habakkuk 2.14. This is, this is a statement, a promise by God. And you've heard this from my mouth time and time again, and you will, time and time again going forward. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the mission. To fill this earth with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is the mission that he has sent the church on. Listen to cultivate, to subdue this earth for our king. For his name to be hallowed by his creation for his glory. That is the mission. That is the mission. The Great Commission, flip now to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to see these as connected. How are we to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And that word in Greek, doubted, is hesitated. The disciples were hesitating because Jesus was about to leave them and they're nervous about, about that. And if we were there, we would be too. And what, what word does Jesus have for hesitating disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a good start. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What else does he say? 
to hesitating disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, church, we are to make disciples among us. We're to help each other follow Christ more deeply, and we're to go. We are to go into Rockford. We are to go into the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of our great God. And, and we are in a series, I want to remind you, called The Path of Discipleship. And so uh, there are five steps in our path of discipleship as a church, and I want you to know them, live them, breathe them, and see yourself in them. Those steps are convert to Christ, commune with God, commit to Redemption City Church or your local church, communicate the gospel, and cultivate disciples. And this week... It's communicate the gospel. His church needs to communicate the gospel. And it's, and it's a step of spiritual growth for us to take this step seriously. So listen, may God be pleased to teach Redemption City Church to number our days and never lose our zeal for the identity of our King and Lord Jesus. And we ne- may we never lose our zeal to tell the world what he has done for them and what he's done for us. May we be a community that is focused on the kingdom of God and to be kingdom focused is to focus on the King, Jesus Christ, amen? We have a good king. The church has a good leader, Jesus. And he has sent us to tell everyone that they can come to the banquet at the end of all things. Jesus has made a way for them to come. And it's for us to go find them and invite them. All who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus alone for salvation can come. And that's good news. So let's define evangelism. Well, I'm going to let J.I. Packer define it because He's smarter than me, okay? It's not hard to do, okay? Evangelism, and in, in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he says evangelism is an act of communication with a view to conversion. So it's an act of communication of the gospel truths with view to conversion in mind. And this is important because it's not just sharing facts about God. Evangelism is sharing the gospel truth in view of conversion, of a person giving their life to Jesus. Communicating the gospel is essential to following Christ, which is why it's a major point in this path of discipleship. Charles Spurgeon said this, listen carefully. You are either a Christian missionary or you're an imposter. Now, listen. Why would Charles Spurgeon, who was so sensitive to preach to the people of God to not burden their conscience and make them feel like imposters, why would he say such a poignant statement when many in the church, most in the church, struggle to communicate the gospel, maybe never communicate the gospel? Well, his goal, I don't believe, and my goal is to, definitely not my goal, is to make genuine Christians feel like imposters. Why did he say such a statement? Because I think he's trying to wake the church up to our responsibility to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Can you be saved and never share the gospel? Well, yes, of course you can. Because we are not saved by our work. We cannot work to keep something we couldn't earn in the first place. But listen, when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, I guarantee when you came to Christ, you just knew that you needed to be saved, right? You knew that, you knew that there's a, a holy God who has expectations for you and that you've sinned and broken his commandments and that you know that you stand condemned before him and, and you've heard about Jesus and the provisions he's made for your life and you call out to him to be saved. That's where this starts. And then as you grow, you start to hear more about what following Christ entails. We learn that God expects us to communicate the gospel. So may God awaken us to his mission and to realize he is commanding and calling us into the blessing that is to communicate the gospel to others. Listen, Jesus left the gospel and his mission in the hands of 11 men in Jerusalem. And here we are in America, 2,000 years later, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't have airplanes or telecommunications, and yet here we are all the way, a world away, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. They took the baton and ran with it. The baton is now in our hands. We have one life to live, and may we live it for Jesus' name. You need to see yourself holding the baton. It's our time, as long as we have breath in our lungs, to run with the gospel of Jesus Christ until the mission is complete, until the world is full with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as the waters cover the sea. Many of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating. Do you know something that you cannot do in heaven that you can do today? Share the gospel. Because in heaven, can you teach your neighbor to know the Lord? No. What an amazing day that will be. But we're not there yet. So let's invite the world to know him. But until then, let's communicate his gospel as often as we can. So three things today, quickly. The motivation for communicating the gospel, the means for communicating the gospel, and a method for communicating the gospel. So first, what, it, what are the motivations for communicating the gospel? Let me ask you, what do you think the highest motivation for sharing the gospel is? Think about it. Articulate that answer in your mind. And here we go. Here's my list. Number one, I believe the Bible points us to this highest calling, which is the glory of God. What is the, what is the primary motivation for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? It ought to be the glory of God. I want, to recall, I want you to recall the statements I've already made about Habakkuk 2.14 and the Great Commission, but I want you to turn your attention to this. Jesus, when asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Have you paid attention to his first line? Listen to what he says in Matthew 6.9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first prayer of the church ought to be, 
Father, hallow your name across the world. Father, fill this earth with the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the prayer. And I want to, many of you already have this passion, but if you're in Christ, I want to see God. Will you ask God to give you the passion for his own name? We get so consumed with ourselves, but as a Christian, we're all about the king. We care way too much about our glory, our reputation. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to care more about God. May God develop that passion within your soul. John Stott says this, the highest evangelistic motive is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that that statement deeply resonates in your soul. Matt Smethurst says this in his little book, Before We Share the Gospel, Five Ways to Be Evangelism Ready. He says, the ultimate reason we cross cultures and cross the street with the gospel is not love for people, but love for God. I want to invite you to turn quickly to Psalm 67. I want you to see the succession of these verses yourself. Psalm 67, verse three, verses 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 67, 3 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 4 says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Verse 5, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Do you see that middle verse where it says, Let the nations be glad? That's important. That's really important. But what's most excellent is how that middle verse is bookended. Let the peoples praise you, oh God. So may we go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, 1 Peter 2.9 powerfully says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you hear this, church? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And we've talked about this. What do priests do? They do two things. They worship God and they go after others. They intercede for others. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a set-apart Nation, a nation that's set apart after the character of Jesus Christ, the conformity of Jesus Christ in our character and in our work. A people for his own possession who God delights over, sings over, treasures. This is your calling, church. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. I want you to wake up to what God is calling you to do in some way in your life to proclaim the excellencies of our great God and King.
Piper famously says on this point, missions and therefore evangelism is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is temporary. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Listen, where is all of this headed? Revelation 5.13 tells us, when I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We ought to want everyone we know to be there. It's right for the glory of God. And this is not a work of evangelism. It's the worship of evangelism for us. Because I want you to see that communicating the gospel in everything, convert to Christ, commune with God, the rest of that list is born out of our communion with God. Our commitment to the church, our commitment to communicating the gospel, our commitment to making disciples is out of love for God and worship of God. Motivation number two is loving obedience to God. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion, it's been said. And I just want to, we won't read these verses, but in John 14, 15, it says, to love God is to obey his commandments. The church, as we grow in our love for God, we don't, we don't do that to earn our salvation, but because we are saved, secure in Jesus, and we want other people to enjoy the salvation that we have To love God is to obey his commandments, not to earn salvation, but because we've been given salvation. Motivation number three is genuine love and compassion for sinners. Uh, Romans 9, turn there. Romans 9, 1, I want you to see just one verse that Paul displays a heart that is immensely like Jesus Christ and, and something that I strive to and have not attained in my life. Thus far in Christ, in Romans 9, 1, it says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What's driving this anguish? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you hear what Paul his compassion for people outside of Jesus Christ. He says, I wish myself accursed. Do you you understand what he's saying? I wish I could go to hell for them and they take my place in heaven. Thank God he doesn't allow that. But isn't that the heart of Jesus Christ displayed in a human being? I have never once felt, let me go to hell for someone else. I want to go to heaven so bad. And see Jesus face to face. But isn't it what Jesus did for us on the cross? Didn't he experience hell 
Didn't he experience the wrath of God raging in his flesh against sin? And Paul is so much like Christ here that he wants so badly for people to be saved, he wished he could take their place and he was driven to share the gospel, the glory of God, loving obedience to God and genuine love and compassion for sinners. So what is the means for communicating the gospel? Well, turn to Acts chapter one. This is a very easy answer. There's only one answer, two parts to one answer in this. What are, what are the means of sharing the gospel? Listen, the gospel of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just added another syllable to the Holy Spirit's name. He doesn't need another syllable. His name is good. The gospel of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, period, end of sentence. We could move on to the next point, but I, I want to show you this clearly. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, that's the gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote Luke and the book of Acts. O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Pause. Listen. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he spent 40 days walking around this earth talking to his followers. What, what were the contents of those conversations? Isn't the weather nice today? That was a good broiled fish uh, we ate by the sea, wasn't it? Uh, Peter, you could be pretty dumb. No, he didn't say any of that. He didn't say any of that. What, what were the contents of his conversations? The kingdom of God. If, if anyone were equipped to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, wasn't it the disciples? But it wasn't enough. Knowing about the kingdom wasn't enough. He told them, you wait here in Jerusalem. And look at Acts 1.8. For what? Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. His church needed to be indwelt with the very presence of the living God and armed with the truthfulness of the kingdom of heaven. That's how we carry out this mission. That's how we spread the knowledge of his glory to the ends of the earth is with the truth of what he has spoken and filled with his spirit. Listen, the spirit is the one who leads us to divine appointments. Think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. Have you ever prayed for God to send you divine appointments for people he's working on? already. He answers. Church, I want you to start praying for God to send you people that he's working on already and watch him answer the prayer. The Holy Spirit sets up divine appointments, but he's looking for willing servants. Be one. Be one, church. 
The, the Spirit is the one who uses the Word to prick the consciences of all men and women and children. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Use the Word of God in your evangelism. Your words are not authoritative. God's words are authoritative. And the Spirit loves to use the words of this book. Use the words. There are sufficient for our evangelism. And I want to commend to you to, to memorize these 40 verses of evangelism that we started four weeks ago. They're in the back. Grab one of these. 40 verses of evangelism. Put them in your heart. God will use them. Use the word of God. The spirit is the one who in his kindness leads people to repentance and faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit washes and renews the heart in regeneration. The Holy Spirit empowers. Listen. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus appeals to sinners to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about when we speak and we make an appeal to sinners to be saved, it's as if God is using, God himself is speaking through our words. We get to be the vehicle. What a privilege to get to be the mouthpiece, the vehicle of God himself to, to invite people to himself. Listen, the church needs the Holy Spirit. Martin Vargas has some commentary on the church in America. Some churches, not all churches. He says, about many churches in America, once the fog, our fog lights fade in the church, it would reveal that the presence of the Lord has departed, Ichabod, which means without glory. May that never be Redemption City Church, now and forevermore. He goes on to say, he quotes A.W. Tozer. He says, if the Holy Spirit has withdrawn from church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would even know the difference. If, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95 of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Church, we, we stand upon the word of God and, and we depend upon the spirit of God. We need him to demonstrate his power. Thirdly, the method for communicating, a method for communicating the gospel. First, first method, ready? Real deep. You need to know the gospel. You can't share something you don't know. You got to learn the gospel to be able to share it. Before you communicate it, you must understand how to evangelize others with the evangel, the good news. Emphasize the fact that this is good news. It's not an ethical code or good advice. It's an announcement of good news. And church, it's not our message. We need to settle that in our minds. This is not our message. It's God's message that we are heralding, that we are stewarding, that we are entrusted by God to give. We cannot manipulate it. We cannot change it. We cannot add to it. And we certainly should not take away from it. We are stewarding a message. You need to learn the message so we can share the gospel with others. And, and I want to share something with you. Your testimony is not the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. It, it is a witness about what the gospel has done in your heart. And when you share it, you've done a great thing. But in sharing your testimony, point to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and explain what has happened to you to be saved. So the testimony is a great thing, but don't confuse it with the gospel. Listen, 
then the gospel truth is meant to be embodied. This is so important. It's not just something to be known. It's meant to be embodied. God has made us embodied souls, and we carry, as the Bible says, a treasure in jars of clay. We carry this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay in our hearts. Believers, there is news residing within us, Matt Smethers says, that it's worth more than all the jewels beneath the earth. Wherever we go, we are transporting treasure. Let me ask you a question. What must a person know to be saved? It's a hard question to answer, right? I want to point your attention before you start to feel overwhelmed to the thief on the cross. Uh, another preacher once asked if, like pretended if, if somebody says to the thief on the cross, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? He would say, what are you talking about? And he goes on to ask a series of more questions, but you get the point already. The thief on the cross at one point was ridiculing Jesus Christ. He didn't believe. And as he watched the son of God die, he was convinced this is the king of all kings. They put that sign above his head, the king of the Jews, but he is the king. He is the son of God. And he asked Jesus one question. When you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What is required to be saved? Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin. That's it. That's all the gospel requires. Look to Jesus to be saved. We need to be mastered by the gospel. Yes, learn the depths, learn the beauty, but don't leave its simplicity. Look to Jesus and he will save you. The thief on the cross is such an encouragement for us. And if you don't know how to share the gospel, learning acronyms and verses is so good, but it's the goal is to share organic conversations like Jesus to meet people where they are. A method for sharing the gospel looks like Pray, pursue, persuade. This is what I encourage you to do. This is what the language I want us to talk about as a church. And I didn't come up with that fancy little all P acronym. Okay, not acronym. See, I don't even know. Uh, whatever it's called, it's escaping me right now. But alliteration, there we go. I need to move on with the sermon. Okay, here we go. Pray, pursue, persuade. It's, it's created by Greg Steer or Dare to Share. Ministries, a, a parachurch organization that equips adults and teenagers how to share their faith. And I, I learned this a long time ago, and this is how I pursue it, and I think it's a good way. It's not the way, it's a way. Pray, pursue, persuade. Ian Bounds says this, so first pray. Ian Bounds said in his book, Power Through Prayer, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well to talk to God for men. Where does, where does evangelism start? We talk to the author of life and the author of salvation first and ask this sovereign Lord who loves saving people to go after someone in particular. That's where evangelism starts and all of you can start easily there Prayer rightly recognizes that God is sovereign in salvation of sinners. We go to the author, 
the owner of salvation, we ask people to be saved. For our children, our mothers, our fathers, our friends, our neighbors, we petition an ever-present, living, merciful God to save sinners, asking Jesus to do the very thing that which he came the earth to do. The very thing that he told us to pray for, the hallowing of God's name. God is able to save sinners, and, and, our, and, and our praying for them shows our confidence in his ability to save sinners. Yes. Pray for divine appointments, which we've already talked about. We have to pray because people need God to open their eyes. We can't do that miracle. So I was in Louisville, Kentucky as a uh, young seminary student and some of my friends, this was not my idea, I just wanted to hang out and they're like, we're going downtown to evangelize. And if I'm honest, I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to like hang out and talk. They had more holy ambitions than I did and I went along with it. And I'm so glad that I did. One night standing outside of Cadoba, you guys know what that is in here, yeah? I see you, okay. Uh, we go to Cadoba, and outside of Cadoba, I met this man, and, and I asked him, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And he said, yes, and he was eager to talk to me. And he was a Buddhist man, and he, he explained how he couldn't wait to be reincarnated. And, and he said, I, my desire is to become grass and to be consumed and to be involved in the circle of life. And I was thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he got done, I was like, I have such great news for you. Uh, you, you want to become compost on the ground. That's your goal. I've, there, I, I waxed eloquent, eloquently on the kingdom and the king. And I was just like, listen, your goal is terrible. Like there's a kingdom of God. You can rule and reign with Christ, you know. And I got done with that and I just knew for sure. I'm like, this man's going to fall on his face before a holy God. And he said, no, I just want to become grass. And walked away. You know, it's one thing to read that people are blinded and hardened. It's another thing to see it. We need to petition God who can change the heart. We can't do it. We pursue people. We pursue people. People are not projects. That's very important that you understand. You do not approach people as if they are projects. There, there's a lot of Christians, this is where a lot of Christians go wrong. People know when they are genuinely being cared for and when they are being used selfishly for someone else's personal gain. We do not use people to get notches in our belt that I shared the gospel with another one. That makes it about you. It's about the glory of God and it's about that person. It, it's not about you. We don't earn our salvation, guys. We've been given our salvation and it's for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Don't make people projects. Don't be guilty of this. Smethurst also says, nothing is more worthy, nothing is more worth talking about, and nothing is easier to stay silent about. So bring God up with your friends. When you pursue them, the hardest part is getting into the conversation. Bring God up. In my 19 years of sharing the gospel, I've only had one conversation uh, get ugly with somebody hating Jesus. But all the rest, people are willing to talk. But the hardest part is to bring God up, that anxiety to where you take a normal conversation and bring up spiritual things. But once you do, you'll be surprised of how willing people are to talk.
I want you to share your life as well as the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 tells us that Paul was eager to not just share the gospel with the people, but his, also his very life. Befriend people who are far from God. Be all things to all people, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Then we persuade, pray, pursue, persuade. And I don't want you to be, convi- to, could be confused here. Persuade sounds an awful too close to that we're persuading people, but we, we trust in the Holy Spirit to do the persuading, but we're trying to accomplish some things. We're trying to persuade people to do what? Again, this is Greg Steer. These three things can happen in any order, church. Attend church, believe in Christ, connect with other Christians. In your evangelism, what are you trying to persuade people to do? Attend church because they'll hear the gospel here. You persuade them in that conversation to believe in Jesus Christ. Or you persuade them to join other Christians, to join your life group. All, any of those three can happen in any order, but then, and, and again, his, his thing is A, B, C, D, E, attend church, believe in Christ, commit to friendships with other believers, D, after they come to Christ, hopefully disciple them and teach them to evangelize others. That's what we're trying to persuade them to. So let's pray for people, pursue them with the gospel, persuade them with an understanding that we cannot and only God can to attend church, believe in Christ, connect with other believers. That's what we're trying to persuade them to. So let's, let's make this practical as we uh, wind up. We want our church, listen, we want our church to be known as a unified family that loves one another. The church makes the gospel tangible. Church, we need to see this. Our loving one another, our becoming one, is so important to our witness to this city. So as you pursue one another in relationship, we are also pursuing our usefulness to God in evangelism. Ray Ortland says this, and I want you to pay attention very carefully. Ray Ortland said, we can unsay with our culture what we say in our doctrine. We can unsay with the culture of this church what we profess with our doctrine. Listen, church, I want our church culture to profess what we believe doctrinally, that we love God and that we love each other and we love our city and the world for Jesus and Jesus' sake. Not to fight and squabble among one another and to be just like the rest of the world, but to be unified. Who could bring this group of people together if not the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ? Let's unify for the glory of God, for the good of each other and the good of our world. I also want to say proximity before power. Proximity with Jesus before power in evangelism. We need to be with Jesus, church. Don't just go to the world to take him to the world. That's a great thing, but spend your time with Jesus. Where does evangelism get its power? In the deeper you commune with God. The closer you are to Jesus. If we were to read Mark 3, when Jesus says, I've called these men to be with me and then to go serve me. Church, that's that's the calling as a Christian to be with Christ and then to go. Not to go and then 
maybe spend time with Jesus, to be with Jesus and to go to the world. Choose one. And, and I want to say that to any weary and heavy laden person. If you're saying you're loading me up with more to do and I'm barely surviving this morning, listen, hear me say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your souls. That's where it starts. Draw near to God. Another one, choose one. This is where it starts. I want you to choose one person outside of your home to start praying, pursuing, persuading. Choose one. Who's coming to your mind that doesn't know Christ? Start praying for them, start pursuing them, start persuading them. What if all of us did that? But parents, I also don't want you to forget in your home are these little ones that you don't just need to teach obedience to, you need to teach them the gospel. And you're trying to pray for, pursue them, and persuade them too. Listen, I, I, and you're, I want you to catch this vision, okay? Um, where does it start? And I'm not saying that you need to lay everything down. I wanna, I've shared this example before. I want to share it again. So Brian Johnson from Redeemer is a great example in this. Here's how he started evangelism. He, he is the resident trout fisherman at Redeemer Church. Okay? I know this because I've fallen in the river so many times following him down the river. I have flooded so many sets of waders uh, walking clumsily like an ox in the river. And he keeps telling me, you wade, not walk, and I just walk and fall. Okay? And, and Brian, he confessed one day on the way up to our first fishing trip, he said, fishing used to be my idol. I would spend all of my free time up fishing, and I would, I would not spend as much time with my family. I wasn't serving Christ. I was just fishing. And then it hit him that to use, to stop using it selfishly, and he started bringing coworkers to share the gospel with in the river. He started picking other Christians that needed encouragement, like me, that day, to take with him, to use his passion, to retool his passion and use it for the kingdom. So what is it in your life that you could retool? You don't have to stop doing something, but retool it to use it for evangelism. And we just heard a living example of the Kayamba family who spent two months of their summer sharing the gospel. What is it for you and your family? Will you dream and pray? And you'll hear me say this a lot, and Lord willing, in other times together, but when you stand before Jesus Christ at the end of your life, you will not regret speaking about him too much. You will regret not speaking about him enough. And I want to again convey you, convince you, a practical step is to start memorizing these verses. And I have a story about these. So I'm cheating, sorry. These verses I had to memorize in seminary. I thought I'd get more of a reaction from that. So I'm glad you guys don't hate me. No, it wasn't a clap. It was, it was like, hey, guys, go memorize these. Ha, 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 I already have, okay? Um, it's not like that. I just want you guys to memorize these verses. And, and one day I was living, um, uh, I was not married to my dear wife yet, and I was living in an apartment with guys, and uh, she didn't like hanging out at that apartment too much. It was pretty dirty a lot. Uh, I've since learned how to be a clean human being. But we lived in this apartment, and I got to know this man across the way. His name was Mike. And Mike was the guy at the apartment complex. He was a, 
He was a veteran. Uh, the VA hospital was just a block away, so he chose that hospital to be, or that apartment to be close to the hospital. And Mike would go around the apartment complex picking up bottles and aluminum cans to sell them for money. I had a pickup truck. And so Mike came over to my door and said, hey, let's be friends. <laughs> uh, can you drive me like once a week to go uh, get these cans and these bottles? And I was like, sure. And we struck up a conversation. I had shared the gospel with him before. And he said, no, this, he looked up to the world and he, the sky and he said, this is my God. I worship this God, this earth. And he goes, that's part of the reason I pick up these cans. To, it's an act of worship to take care of this earth. And, and uh, Mike wasn't in good health. And I was memorizing these verses to get through the exam. And one day I had to study and Mike, I, he's, you know, when you see someone coming for you and you don't have time, right? You start to be like, oh, I don't see him. He's like, Matt. I'm like, okay, I see you now. And, and I go and he goes, can you help me take these cans? I'm like, under one condition. I had a flip book of these verses. And I said, Mike, you got to quiz me. And I said, you just say the reference and I'll say the verse. And he's like, deal. And we start, I start driving and we start going. We start talking, and it's all good, it's all good, and then we get to the Hebrews passage that says, it's appointed for man to live once to die and face judgment. And I'll never forget what he said. He goes, oh, this is getting heavy. <laughs> I, said, I said, Mike, never mind that. You're just helping me study. We're just going to the, to the thing. And he's like, okay. And we, get, <laughs> and we get all the way through these 40 verses of evangelism, and uh, he invites me over, and he was... He was asking me questions, and I'll never forget this. I stayed with him for a few hours that day, and he said, Matt, okay, brass tacks, what's the one thing I need to change about myself so that I can be saved and go to heaven? I said, listen, Mike, this is the good news. Nothing. It's already been done for you, Mike. Jesus has accomplished your salvation for you. All you got to do is trust him, look to him. He'll save you. And I can't describe the joy he experienced. And he said, Matt, I'm tired. I got I to gotta go. And I, I was going to have him over for dinner later that week. And the reason I'm sharing this story is you never know when the last opportunity you have with someone, because I never saw Mike again. He died just two days later. And I hope that in his joy, he had received Christ at the very last moment of his life, church. It's a privilege to share the gospel with dying sinners. Charles Spurgeon, when he says, we're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I'm not better than Mike. We all need Jesus. Ought not we tell people where to find him? And listen, I would be remiss today if I didn't share the gospel with you because in talking about communicating the gospel, I hope that somebody comes to faith in Christ today. I'll never forget in Sunday school class when I was training teenagers to share the gospel, I had this girl sitting next to me and we were role playing in front of the class. And we got to this point, we were talking about giving your life to Christ and she was supposed to explain it to me and she started weeping. I said, why are you crying? She goes, I've never given my life to Jesus. And in front of the entire Sunday school class, she just gives her life to Christ. I thought she was saved already. This is why step number one of our 
path of discipleship is convert to Christ. We don't assume salvation, and I don't assume it of everybody in here today. So listen to me. You were created by God to worship and serve him. You're created by God to worship and serve him, but we are in rebellion against him in our sins. We have offended God. We have denied God, and we are estranged to him because the Bible says our sins separate us from God, and we need to be reconciled to him. Listen, God being thrice holy, 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 holy is good news, and it's very bad news. It's good news because our God is awesome. It's bad news because our righteousness needs to match his to get to heaven, and we can't live up to that. And we need a savior. But God had a plan that he made in eternity past to save sinners, justifying sinners and yet remaining the justifier. Jesus Christ, at the proper time, was born of a virgin, left heaven and became poor for us. Jesus obeyed all righteousness for us. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says about him. The one who made the law kept it, and then he died for those who had broken it. The lawmaker became the law keeper and died in the place of law breakers. He was obedient to his father's plan, which led him to a Roman cross where the king of all kings was mocked and he was killed for our sins. And on that tree, he bore our sins in his body and exhausted the father's wrath against our sins. And in our evangelism, listen to me, do not leave Jesus hanging on the cross because three days later, he would defeat Satan, sin, and death when he powerfully rose from the dead. He is the author of life, he is the author of salvation, and he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by Christ. Richard Sibb says this, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. So I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you have done, listen to this, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in you. Look to him. Turn from, from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Do that this morning. God has set life and death before you. What will you choose this day? Would you refuse God's invitation to you to come and live for what? Small, petty, pathetic pleasures and passions that lead you to the grave. What sin, listen to me, what sin is worth the price of your soul? Answer, there is no sin worth the price of your soul. Lose your life, church, for, for the Jesus and his gospel and you will find life. Christian, you need to make the mission of God central in your life. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all will be added to you, not just in your free time. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. May we be a people with eyes upon heaven, with the best of books in our hands, with the law and the gospel on our lips, pleading with sinners to come home. May the Lord fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Hallowed be the name of God. Let's pray.
before I pray, as your heads bows and eyes close, as I pray, I want you to articulate in your mind, ask God to bring the one person you ought to pray for, pursue, and persuade. And as I pray, ignore me, and you pray to God for the soul of this person. And if you're in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are separated from him in your sins, may you put your faith, may you turn. Don't turn your back on God and turn your face towards sin any longer. Turn your back on sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Repent. Turn away from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And all that that looks like is in your heart right now or out of your lips. Just say, Lord Jesus, will you save me? Forgive me, cleanse me. And repentance looks like a life of pursuing God. But right now, as I pray, pray for the one Christian who you should start praying, pursuing, persuading. God, come before you in the name of Jesus. And I, I praise you that we have an excellent king and we have an excellent kingdom to invite sinners to. God, I just pray right now for those who are being prayed for, I pray that you save them, God, and use the people in this church. Use whoever you wish, because it's not about us. It's about you, and it's about that lost sinner. God, help us to, to awaken to the reality that you've called us to the blessing and to the worship of evangelism. God, help us to not be asleep and just to exist for ourselves. We exist to worship you, to be priests on this earth, set apart, to worship you, to care for one another, but to take the gospel outside of these walls to Rockford, lost and dying. How many mics are in this city that are on their last days and are without God and without hope in this world? Will you, will you give us divine appointments to meet them? and to introduce them to their God and Savior. God, please. And I pray for any and everyone in here that's not reconciled to you. you. May they not leave here that way. May they feel your spirit overwhelming them now. And may they put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, to turn from their life of sin, to put down their idols, to turn their face towards you, the living and true God. May they worship and serve you into the return of Jesus Christ. Redemption City is in your hands, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray.